My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome as we continue our journey through the Word of God. Today we are looking at another psalm. We're going to be looking at Psalm 10 today and I'm so glad that you're joining me. If you haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel or Facebook, Instagram, podcasts, wherever, uh, please do that and share this as much as you possibly can. Psalm 10, very unusual psalm. Some people think it's a continuation of Psalm 9, the second half. Uh, many reasons for that. Uh, it fits into the character of what would naturally be the second half of Psalm 9. There's no title to Psalm 10 in your Bibles. You see there's no title there. Uh, and it really is a psalm that is about lamenting. Lamenting is one of those, we, we think of it as a Bible word, but it's actually an English word, and it's a word that has meaning, and it means to, to you know, reflect with sorrow. And uh, the, the lamenting that's going on by the psalmist here is why do wicked people who do bad things, why do they seem to prosper? Why does everything work out for them? And then how do we get ourselves from that position to a point of ultimate confidence in God that he's got it and he's going to take care of it? Uh, Spurgeon quoted Martin Luther in a, in a sermon one day and he said this. Uh, so this is a quote from Martin Luther preached by sermon, Spurgeon. There is not in my judgment a psalm which describes the mind, the manners, the works, the words, the feelings, and the fate of the ungodly with so much propriety, fullness, and light as this psalm. So let's get into it. Psalm 10 verse 1. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy, renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. So the psalmist here asks a question that anybody who's ever been a Christ follower has asked this question. It's when anxiety rises up within us over the fact that we think God's doing nothing. Bad things are happening to us and he's just standing back and watching it all happen and doing nothing. And he's afar off and he almost feels like he's hiding himself as I'm going through a time of trouble. Spurgeon said the presence of God is the joy of his people, but any suspicion of his absence is distracting beyond measure. And that is so true because we were meant to be in the presence of God. And when we feel like we're not, oh, it's so distracting. And the, uh, the psalmist here says, the wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. So this this line explains why the psalmist is writing this particular psalm. Why is he lamenting? Why is he so troubled by the seeming inactivity of God? Because he saw wicked and proud men who not only persecuted the poor uh, and blessed the greedy, in other words, they approved of sinners, they encouraged sinners, but he also sins against God, renounces the Lord, does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. And we think that anyone who renounces God is sinful. Like we can make that connection. Somebody who renounces God is sinful. But the psalmist here says, 
that the one who does not seek God and the one who does not think about God, God is in none of his thoughts, is in the same category as somebody who renounces God. And uh, Guzik said this, men do not seek God and this is a great sin. Men do not think about God. This is also a great sin. Man has obligations to God as his creator and sovereign and it is a sin to neglect them. Man commits these sins because of his proud countenance. Ignoring God is an expression of our independence and perceived equality or superiority to him. That's why it can be said of the proud, wicked man in this psalm, God is in none of his thoughts. But at the same time, as you read through this psalm, you can see that this, these wicked people try not to think about God, but they can't not think about God. Um, they're trying. They're trying to pretend that he's forgotten them. They're trying to hide from him. Uh, so it's interesting because the wicked try to forget about God, but they can't. And then he says, "Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised, which is the prayer of the psalmist regarding the wicked." And uh, it's a very confident and heartfelt prayer, which is. You know, followed that line is followed right through the Old Testament. People who devised plots to hurt other people ended up getting hurt by those same things. Um, Haman, Mordecai, what he planned for Mordecai, and uh, you know, you know the uh, the workers who set up the the lines and the lions den, uh, the the wicked that that tried to betray Daniel ended up getting eaten by the lions that they wanted to eat Daniel. Uh, and, and, and so you've got this, this, this theme here. So let's move on to verse five. His ways are always prospering and your judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he sneers at them. He has said it in his heart. I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression and under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. The psalmist here is almost protesting to God, and you and I, we've done that. Uh, you know, not only is this person who's wicked against me seems to be prospering, they seem to be doing it because you're not judging them, God. You seem to just not care. And you can imagine the psalmist thinking and processing this. If God would just show this wicked person a little bit of his judgment, then that person would change. Uh, but what it really should be seen as here in this, the way the psalmist puts it, is having complete confidence in God's rule and authority. Because the psalmist here recognizes that the wicked could never prosper unless God actually allowed it to happen. So he says, God, will you stop allowing it to happen? Because this person is sneering. I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity, full of cursing, deceit and oppression. And the psalmist examines and exposes the sins here of this wicked person. In other words, this wicked person is not afraid of his enemies. And there's pride and sin in their heart and in, in, in his mouth, under his tongue. So it's no wonder the psalmist really despised this person so much. And we are, we are often impressed at how the wicked speech of men and women which unfortunately today's culture is not seen as any sin whatsoever. We even celebrate Christians who sin. 
uh, by, by by cursing. We we say you know Christians who sin by swearing, and there's there's like social media accounts of like oh yeah I'm a Christian who curses a little, as if that makes you some kind of relevant. No, it makes you somebody who's living your life in compromise to the Word of God, the way that Jesus Himself asked you to live. So don't that doesn't make you cool, and it doesn't make you cool if you follow those people and go oh this this is Christians who curse a little. I love that. It's so relevant. No, how about being relevant to the Word of God? Because let me tell you, the more culture moves away from God, the closer we've got to say to the culture God wants us to stay in. And this is what the psalmist here is trying to, he, he can't believe that people are so wicked and have fallen so far away from God, cursing, lying, threatening, troubling speech. And uh, they're the things, people only do that if they think God's not going to hold them accountable for it. That's why people, Christians who swear think that they can do it because they think God's going to be like, oh, that's totally fine. I get it. 20th century, 21st century, kind of like end times, a lot of junk going on. That's okay. You just drop a few bombs. No worries at all. Look, my forgiveness totally, totally got you covered. No worries. This is how people think. Yet the word of God says, let, let, no, let no words come out of your mouth that are evil. Let no, let no cursing proceed from your mouth. And so the psalmist knew this. This is like, you know, so nearly two centuries, uh, two, two millennia before Jesus. It's a long time. And, and here we have this, this psalmist here writing these words about evil speech. Let's continue to move on. Verse eight. He sits in the lurking places of the villages. The lurking place. I love that, that language. In the secret places, he murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. And so he crouches, he lies low, that the helpless may fall by his strength. And he has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face and he will never see. See, he's thinking about God. The wicked person is saying, God, God's forgotten. See, so he's trying not to think about God but he has to remind himself to think about God in all order to not think about God. Think about that. <laughs> uh, the psalmist was so troubled by this wicked person. And one of the things about this wicked person that was horrible is they did everything in secret, lurking, secret places, eyes are secretly fixed, lies in wait secretly, murders the innocent. He's a bully, picks on the weak. He's not honourable enough to fight those who have the ability to fight back. And then this wicked person said, well, God God has forgotten. He will never see. And this is what really made the psalmist just get so upset because he's like appealing to God. God, murder, oppression, bullying from this wicked person, these are bad things. And, And this wicked person thinks you've forgotten God thinks that you're never going to see them. Guzik said this, we can fairly say that this added blasphemy against God to his many sins against man. We can imagine the psalmist's blood boiling as he thought about this smiling, self-assured sinner and the pleasure that he took in his sin. But you can also notice here a, a very big difference between the pain in the believer who fears God has forgotten and the sinner who vainly hopes and takes false comfort comfort in the idea that God has forgotten. They both think God has forgotten. Different reasons. One causes pain 
Oh God, you've forgotten. The other cause is vanity. <laughs> God's totally forgotten. This is the contrast the psalmist is trying to make. So we move on to verse 12. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. <laughs> Just the smugness of this the psalmist writing about the wicked person. But the psalmist says simply, Arise, O Lord. Lord, this wicked person finds comfort in the idea that you're not going to do anything about what he's doing. So lift up your hand against this wicked man. Now, it's often assumed that David wrote this psalm, even though it's not stated. It's it's arranged in the middle of a whole lot of psalms that were written by David. Remember, David did not write all the psalms. He wrote about half of them, just a little over half. And we know that David was not somebody who shied away from a fight. Uh, he had a warrior spirit about him. He wasn't the kind of man to be passive when he was being attacked, uh, particularly if somebody who was wicked was murdering and terrorizing the weak and helpless. But the exception to this could be if the wicked man was Saul, who was in a place of God-appointed authority over David in Israel. And maybe this psalm is a cry for David from David to stop Saul uh, because he knew that it wasn't his place to stop Saul because God had allowed Saul to be anointed as king. So then the psalmist says, why do the wicked renounce God? And then he answers the question. It's, it's interesting. Have you ever done that? You ask God a question, then you answer it because you know what the truth is. This is exactly what the psalmist did. The wicked renounce God because they say in their heart that God will not require an account. So then we move on to verse 14. But you, God, you have seen, for you have, you observe trouble and grief. To repay it by your hand, the helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. You have seen. You observe trouble and grief. Uh so here you've got the psalmist reflecting a little bit more and he's recognizing God actually has seen it. He hasn't not seen it. Why does he all of a sudden have a confidence that God really has seen it? Because he knows that God sees and cares the trouble and grief of the poor and the helpless. So he says, repay it by your hand. In other words, the psalmist says, and this, you know, this is the sentiment the psalmist, and it's very similar to you and I, well, I could come up with what I think is suitable punishment for this person, but God, I'm going to leave it up to you. I'm going to leave it up to your hand. However you decide to do with this person, I'm okay. And I understand that you most certainly will repay the wicked for their sin. You will help the helpless. You will answer for what is done to the helpless, and you'll make those answerable. You'll be the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked. The psalmist calls upon God to help the weak, by just obliterating the wicked and evil man to thoroughly seek out his wickedness until you find none. In other words, just get rid of it. Psalm 16. This is another one of these glorious endings in one of these psalms. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his, I love this, out of his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and to the oppressed, that the man of the earth may oppress no more. 
The psalmist begins with this despair in times of trouble and he finishes with a calm confidence in the reign of the Lord as the eternal king. Guzik says this, God had long been declared the king of Israel at this point from Exodus chapter 15. Even when his people rejected his rule in 1 Samuel chapter 8, if David wrote this psalm, especially during a persecution from Saul, then the words, the Lord is king forever and ever, would have special meaning, recognizing the reign of God even over the troubled and dysfunctional reign of King Saul. The nations have perished out of his land. He's remembering, the psalmist is remembering. So he's gone through this process, lamenting. Why are you letting this wicked person get away with it? It looks like you don't see anything. Oh, no, okay, I get it. You do see it. Oh, and you know what? I also remember what you've done in the past. You've you've actually, you've taken care of stuff like this in the past against cruel enemies. And this gives the psalmist this confidence, this calm confidence starts rising up in him. How? Because he remembers what God's done in the past. You have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear. And it, it continues to express this calm confidence that God's never going to abandon the poor and the needy. Uh, Spurgeon has some great words about this particular part of the psalm. It's what he says. David does not say, and he is assuming David wrote this psalm, David does not say, thou hast heard the prayer of the humble. He means that, but he also means a great deal more. Sometimes we have desires that we cannot express. They're too big, they're too deep, and we cannot clothe them in language. At other times, we have desires that we dare not express. We feel too bowed down. We see too much of our own undesert to be able to venture near the throne of God to even utter our desires. But the Lord hears the desire when we cannot or dare not turn it into the actual form of a prayer. I hope that gives comfort to some people today. The psalmist reminds us that God will prepare their heart. The spiritual preparation of your heart and my heart is a gift from God. It's an answer to our prayer, and it actually marks us as somebody who is blessed by God. Adam Clark said of this, we, of these few verses, we can see here the economy of the grace of God. One, God prepares the heart. Two, God suggests the prayer what to pray. Number three, God hears what is prayed. And then number four, God answers the petition. He who has got a cry in his heart after God may rest assured that that cry proceeded from a divine preparation and that an answer will soon arrive. What will that answer entail? To do justice that the man of the earth may oppress no more. So the psalmist here ends with the assurance that God's justice will be applied in God's timing in God's measure, the way God wants it to happen. And what began as a sense of despair in a time of trouble has ended with a calm confidence in God's justice and his ultimate victory. Which leads me to my observation today. We are called as Christ followers to always have a calm confidence in God. Always. So my question to you is, do you have a calm confidence in God always especially when somebody's doing something wicked to you or you're watching wicked things happen. Do you have a calm confidence or do you get worried? I've heard a lot of 
uh, Christians through troubled times in the earth say, I'm very worried about what's going on right now. I'm very concerned. Now, I understand the nobility of the sentiment, but I don't understand the rational process of the thought. It just doesn't make any sense to me when you say that. Because I understand what God's done in the past. I understand the promises of God. I understand that every prophecy in this word that he said so far has come true. So I believe that every other prophecy is going to come true. And I believe that everything that was paid for by Jesus is yes and amen for you and for me. So I don't have to worry about this world. I just have to worry about what God's asked me to do. And worry is probably the wrong word. I just need to concern myself with going into the world and preaching the gospel. Loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul and might. Loving my neighbor as I love myself. Following all the things that God asks us to do. But worrying about this world because a lot of bad stuff's happening? No, that's not part of the deal. David did that 3,000 years ago. Well, nearly 3,000 years. Long time ago. Long time ago. And we're still doing it. David didn't have Jesus. He had the hope of a Messiah who was going to come one day. But we, we have the words of David, we've got the words of the psalmists, uh, we've got the words of Jesus, we have the word of God, we've got so much more, we have so many more tools available to our disposal, or at our disposal to be able to use. So, there you go, that's my observation, what's yours? Write it down, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. I pray, Lord, for everybody who's lamenting right now. They're reflecting with sorrow the situation that they are in or the, the circumstances of things around them. And I pray, Lord, right now that they would just have that lament replaced with a calm confidence in the fact that you will dispense victory. You will dispense justice. And the God that we will be subject to your mercy always in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.